Hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and I am very pleased to be back after the summer break for this new season of episodes. And we're starting with a firm Stack favourite. Rob Orchard is one of the editors of Delayed Gratification, the quarterly news magazine that looks back at events once the dust has settled to take a slow, considered approach to retelling stories with the benefit of hindsight. Their current issue covers the period from January to March this year, which of course was when coronavirus first emerged from Wuhan and started spreading around the world. And I think it provides a brilliant example of what delayed gratification does so well, bringing a clear and fresh perspective to a story that you might think you already know. We sent that issue to Stack subscribers as their July delivery, so I wanted to speak to Rob to give a bit of context on the making of that magazine. But he's also just a good friend, and up until the lockdown, we'd shared an office together, so I was really pleased to have the opportunity of catching up with him again. If you're a Stack subscriber, you should hopefully have had a chance to sit down with this issue and enjoy it for yourself. But if you're not a subscriber, please consider giving us a try. Go to stackmagazines.com and use the code PODCAST and you'll save 10% off all our regular prices and we'll be able to start sending you a surprise independent magazine every month. Right, that is the end of my sales pitch. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Rob Orchard from Delayed Gratification. All right, nice one. Rob, thank you so much for making time to talk. Real pleasure to be uh, talking with you today, Steve-O. feels so weird, the, to, given that a few months ago we were sitting opposite each other in an office to now be doing this remotely. But I guess that's just the same as what everybody has uh, been going through the last few months. Yeah, it's like a massive collapse in uh, camaraderie and intimacy, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's like, that's like the least of our problems, you know, yeah. in the face of a global pandemic. But still, you know, sad about the camaraderie. <laughs> So one uh, very good thing to have come out of this is the current issue of delayed gratification. Um, so I basically said in the letter that we sent out with uh, with that mag in July, um, we'd been planning to send out your uh, December issue because that's going to be the big uh, 10th anniversary one. But then when uh everything happened over the last few months i basically just found myself on a day-to-day basis sitting in my loft thinking i wonder what delayed gratification think about what's happening now and then realized actually we have to scrap our plans and we have to have this issue because i i had to know how you'd go about tackling the outbreak of coronavirus so so from your point of view, where did you guys all start and how did you kind of figure out where to put yourselves in telling this story? Well, so it was um, it was an interesting process for us. Um, so just when uh, just when the UK had either, I think it was just 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 been sent into lockdown, we had our previous issue come out and that issue covered um, October, uh, November and December of last year. Because as you know, we report on you know we report on a quarter's worth of news, but with a quarter's worth of perspective and hindsight mm. and delay. And so we're in this mad situation where literally all that anybody was talking about was obviously coronavirus and you know what it meant and where it might go and all that sort of stuff. And there was a huge amount of hot air as well surrounding the subject. 
and and then our readers got this kind of this magazine from the past you know it was kind of dealing with <laughs> the big issues of the, the tail end of last year and actually from that point of view um it was like a breath of fresh air we had a series of readers get in touch and and you know people do stuff on social and so on just saying i've just got my latest issue of dg and it's completely coronavirus free and it's so nice you know it's like it's like this kind of like this world where this hasn't happened yet so that was kind of like that was quite nice and then you know the big advantage that we have in the magazine is being you know the the seagull following the trawler so you know we have the opportunity to watch everybody else and look at everybody else's coverage and see the kind of the waves of kind of you know intrigue and speculation and hot air and you know like and, and as, well, as well as the great reporting watch all that go by and then return to it and see and see what's what to make of it and so this this latest issue that people will receive through stack that covers january february march of this year so the, the real kind of beginning times mm, mm. and i think our starting point for the coverage was knowing that this was a story that was going to last you know at least the next few issues if not all of the rest of issues for the rest of the time <laughs> because you know you could see it spiraling out you know it starts as a you know kind of a, a medical question it becomes a political question and an economic question and a social question and you know there's there's no part of our lives it doesn't touch on and the first truly global story i suppose apart from from climate change um that you know we've seen um in the in the last 10 years so we wanted to do something that just really took people given that this issue kind of came out um, at the tail end of, of June, we really wanted to give people a flavour of what it was like just in those early days, because we knew we'd have plenty of time to focus on the unfolding story later down the line. Mm, mm. And so what we started to do, because it, it, it was quite challenging, because, you know, there was any number of stories that you could have covered any number of different directions. But we started off by just looking for interesting stories. And the first one that came up was this fascinating story of this guy in uh, Brooklyn, in New York, um, who was a volunteer uh, ambulance driver for this fascinating group, uh, the Bedstew Volleys, which is this volunteer ambulance organization in, in Brooklyn, in New York. And um, his story of going out every night and supplementing uh, the city's ambulance service and putting himself you know, directly in harm's way, harm's way as a volunteer to help his community. Mm. And so we kind of thought, we, we've got to get that story. We commissioned that. And then we started looking at some other stories. There was this amazing story from Italy about this woman, uh, Roberta Brivio, who was a 74-year-old psychologist um, who was living just outside the red zone of, of, sort of the, the biggest lockdown in Italy early on and was looking on with despair at the level of kind of um, depression and mental health issues that were being created um, in that region. So she decided that she was going to start her own hotline and so she bought a burner phone and a, a SIM card and she put a number up on Facebook and, you know, it took off. And suddenly she was feeling, fielding sort of hundreds and hundreds of calls a week and she drafted in other volunteer um, uh, psychiatrists and psychologists to help her, um, probably psychologists I would have thought, and, um, and built up this massive network and was just helping people day in, day out. So once you have those first two, you can see the outlines of, okay, so this is a story about the first responders, the first people on, on the scene. Mm. The people who, when, you know, the kind of the, the fire starts, don't run for cover like the rest of us and sort of, you know, hold toilet paper, but actually you sort of run towards <laughs> the flames. And so, um, and so then we thought, well, we need, some, we need some good coverage. We need it to be kind of around the world. So we found, you know, an incredible uh, doctor in London um, talking about his 
unbelievably intense time on the kind of the, the COVID respiratory wards. And we found this doctor in, um, in China who was charged with setting up um, one of the first COVID isolation hospitals way, 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 way back at the beginning of the year and grappling with these, these sort of, you know, these unknown quantities of, of how to tackle this disease. And then finally, we wanted to end up with something because we could see that the disease was now spreading into South America. We looked at Chile, which um, initially thought that it didn't have a problem at all and suddenly had the biggest per capita problem in South America. We looked at the politics there. and It's amazing. Um, female doctor who is, is, is sort of fulfilled this kind of political role in, in effectively an absence of vacuum of political leadership. Mm-hmm. So we had that. We had five stories. That's always quite a good starting point. And, it, and they went around the world. And you could see effectively one throwing to the next. So the, you know, the kind of the, the China one through to the Italy one as the kind of the pandemic moves on, the Italy one through the London one, and the London to New York, and then the New York to Chile. But we also wanted something where you could just take a step back and really start to appreciate kind of the enormity of what had happened and how the reactions had been early on. So we did one of our infographic specials. We like to do sort of nine or 11 page infographic spectaculars each each issue. So this one was just literally just the, the beginning of the virus, like how it started, mm. how it spread, the mechanism for how it spread, um, how it burned its way around the world and how people reacted in those early days. And, and this, that um, said, said as, as, I mean, I'd been sitting at home waiting for my copy of DG because I mean obviously I want to read it anyway as a reader but it's always a nervy time because I'm going to be sending this out to our subscribers and when I saw that when I saw the the so you you lead in with the infographics that was the moment where I was like yes this is this is what I wanted to get because I, I love the way that you know, you, you, you don't assume anything. You begin, as you say, with a graphic showing the mechanism by which SARS-CoV-2 causes COVID-19. It's like, what? Hang on. The, the, you know, and this was in sort of summertime when all the, you know, all we we're talking about was, was COVID. But I don't think I'd seen someone go right back to the beginning and say, actually, this is how this thing works. Or then also... Um, you have like a, a graphic showing uh, the cost of COVID-19 uh, split by different countries, but in terms of total deaths, uh, deaths per million, uh, predicted GDP drop. And the, like, I just, I want to see that every day. I want to see one of those every day on the news at 10 so that you can actually chart and look and see what do all of these numbers mean that are flying past us all the time? Put it all in one place. I guess, you know, we, we are very lucky insofar as this is, you know, this is a quarterly magazine. In some ways, it's kind of closer to a book. So you've got the time to, to really kind of look at what everybody else is doing and, and kind of pull out the, the best bits and, and add stuff that you think is missing. I mean, one of the really interesting things that, that um, I found early on was the, the number of coronaviruses that are, have a kind of a relation to bats, so bats being one of the kind of primary vectors for, for coronaviruses. So we also did a bit of analysis of the, uh, the 47 key species of coronavirus and the sheer number of them that are associated with bats and then the number of those that have actually broken through the humans because only seven of them have but then this fascinating thing that you know so most of those have been fine three of them produced potentially severe infections so we had SARS which killed 774 we had MERS which killed 858 and then we had SARS-CoV-2 which kind of produces COVID 
um, which at the time we went to press had, had killed 440,290 mm. people. That's almost mm. double that. Mm. Um, and the other thing that I found fascinating with digging into the numbers is how little warning we've got. So, you know, so, so pandemic has been up there um, in terms of the UK's, you know, the, they, they do um, an analysis of the kind of the greatest threats to the UK. And it's, it's been there kind of bubbling under over the last few years. But we looked as well at the World Economic Forum's um, annual global risks list. And it was fascinating. You know, so they do the 10 biggest risks of the planet each year. And we looked at going back all the way to 2007, which is, uh, I think, when it launched. Um, and pandemics had only featured twice and relatively low down on the priority list in all of that time. Mm. Um, and suddenly, you know, suddenly it kind of takes off. So I think we're very lucky in order to be able to take that step back. Mm. And we're going to do the same in this next issue. So we're working on another big infographic explainer, but this is all around the lockdown. So we're going to be looking at um, the countries of the world that, that locked down um, and how they said about it and what impact it might have had um, in terms of their case levels. And we're going to look at some of the the mad things that happened that, you know, that, that were introduced to our world that had not existed before. I mean, you know, just to take an example, the concept of the drive-by birthday. This is like, this is a genuinely <laughs> new, like, cultural um, artifact that has been created. You know, people earnestly going online to search how best to do a drive-by birthday and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we're going we're gonna to build up this picture and hopefully it's going to give an idea as well of, you know, the cost to us all, the economic cost, which is just... Um, astonishing flabbergasting. Mm, mm. So, I mean, with this issue that we're talking about, I mean, the, the, it's important to say there are other stories. There are non-COVID stories. So you've got Harvey Weinstein being found guilty. You've got uh, Qasem Soleimani um, assassinated. But I think it's fair to say the the emphasis of the magazine is on COVID. Now, obviously, this came out, as you said before, in the summer Certainly here in the UK, the uh, COVID was really the main story, and I'm I'm sure it still is, but I feel like there's other stuff creeping through now. So in terms of the balance of stories for the next one, uh, like where are you putting yourselves? Are you are you going with about the same emphasis on COVID, or are you going to be introducing other things uh, uh, as well? It's a bit less. It's a bit less. So I mean, I think what we really wanted for the for the last issue was to feel that was for people to feel that we'd done a really good and useful job mm. with the biggest story that we'd ever covered, but also that there was plenty of other good stuff to read. Um, and that even in you know the, the COVID coverage, that there was some element of you know light at the end of the tunnel or redemption, you know, these kind of incredible humans doing incredible things, uh, attacking this absolute beast. So there were some there were some lighter things. There was a fascinating cultural piece about how South Korea you know, made this um, amazing nationwide effort to get Parasite to, to be the first um, foreign language film to win an Oscar for best film. Um, this is an amazing story about how um, uh, how people, various people, have set about trying to eradicate species from the planet. Um, in, sort of on the back of this um, lovely story about these Colombian cocaine hippos. So Pablo Escobar's hippos from his private menagerie who were allowed to run wild across Colombia um, when he was arrested and ended up mating. And now there's scores and scores of Colum Colombian hippos about hmm. the place. And um, so talking about that and, you know, previous attempts to eradicate things and how difficult it is to get rid of hippos when, when they decide that they like your country. Um, so a, a nice balance of things like that. And I think we'll, we'll broaden that out even further in this next issue. So we've got a big and beautiful photo feature 
and, uh, about some of the interesting things that were going on in lockdown. We've got an extraordinary story from India um, about their experience of lockdown, which was announced uh, with four hours. So, um, so Modi got on and started telling the nation about it at 8 p.m. And this kind of very stringent lockdown came into place four hours later at 12 midnight. Um, and it left tens of millions of migrant workers um, without anywhere to live and without any work. Uh, and suddenly, you know, and all those scenes of people walking out, so we've got the inside story on that. Fascinating. Um, but we're also, we are very, very aware also of trying to, you know, not get lost in the mire. There needs to be, um, you know, light um, as well as shade and some, some kind of positive and upbeat and, and downright silly stories as well um, alongside the, the serious analysis. So we can expect more cocaine hippos in the in the next issue then? I would be delighted if there was a cocaine hippo story or equivalent <laughs> in every issue. Because, um, you know, just like to, to read 10 pages that is beautifully written, beautifully argued with fascinating insight, but is ultimately, you know, like it's it's not life and death. Mm. It's, it's just lovely in this very, very serious time we're living through. So, so tell me then about how your actual process has changed with all this, because as I say, uh, up until this last issue, we were sitting in an office together and so I could see the conversations you were having, the team as it worked together. What has, like, how have you gone about making this magazine in lockdown in, in from your separate places? Well, um, we've done a lot of Zoom. We've done a hell of a lot of Zoom. Um, and the big thing that we were wary of was that in the last kind of couple of weeks when you're getting a magazine ready for press, um, or, or in the you know, last couple of days, if it's on a kind of a weekly cycle or last couple of hours, if it's more regular, um, but you know, in that final period, that's when you tend to do the kind of the last 10% that makes all the difference. You know, you're sitting around talking nonsense and you come up with a fantastic headline, hmm. um, or you make a little tweak to an infographic that suddenly opens it up. Or you know you you rearrange the pages so that the kind of the flow works better, and we were really anxious about that because you know we won't be there. You know it's quite a transactional thing. Is Zoom. You know you don't get those moments where you walk off to get a coffee together or you know um, open up a beer or whatever it might be. So we we tried to just kind of produce those. And it was a little bit artificial, but I think it worked. Um, and actually, there were some sort of strange benefits. So actually, normally in in kind of production week. There's a good few times when I catch the very last train home at night at one o'clock in the morning or something and I'm dog tired and everybody else around me is drunk. And then, you know, I get home and have a few hours sleep and then I turn around and come back again. Well, actually, you know, we were able to end at reasonable times and then, you know, we were back home. So there was no no slog of commute. So that's quite good. Mm. Um, and actually, we set up the tech. I mean, the you know, the tech works in a way that it just, you know, you couldn't have done this 10 years ago. But you can have very convincing... Um, you know, private uh, uh, service effectively that you can all work on in real time on in copy. So you could, you know, that, that kind of practical element that the flow works well. Mm. But I think it's just that thing of making sure that you kind of make time just for a chat, just for that kind of broad chat. Because one of the things you would have seen when we were sharing an office together is you've got the kind of the, the minis, you've got the like the mini um, printouts of the pages up on, stuck up on a wall. And so whenever you've got a moment or when you stretch your legs, you go over and look at them. And quite often you can spot things like, oh, we have, we've got, you know, kind of the wrong sort of photos here. or We've got too much of this sort of story here. Or the, the flow's not working. So trying to recreate that's difficult. We've done a virtual minis board and we look at that, um, but it's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. And so how about these opportunities that we hear about that are coming out of 
uh, COVID. So uh, I know that you were running some events um, before all of this. So for subscribers and for corporates and things like that. Uh, have you found that that stuff has transitioned um, online? Some of it, yes. So I have been resisting for years. I've been resisting doing um, classes over Zoom. So we have subscribers in Germany saying, look, you know, I've signed up for a subscription and part of the benefit is that I get discounted tickets on, on you know, discounted uh, tickets to your events. But they're in London and I, I'm not going to fly over. I can't do that. Can you just do it on Zoom? I've always said no, because I thought that what you wanted was that thing of being in the same room as the editor, um, you know, and it becomes much more of a, a kind of an event. But actually, I was wrong. Um, so we were forced to, to kind of move the events online and we actually sold a ton of tickets during that period. Um, because people were sort of at home and they were looking for things to do. And the very first one that I got on, there was somebody there from um, Las Vegas, somebody from Thessaloniki, um, somebody from um, Sao Paulo, somebody from Dublin. I just thought, God, this is this is incredible. These are subscribers that I would never have got to meet because mm, they would never mm. have made it to London. Mm. And now we're actually having this kind of... And actually, I had always thought that it would be very sort of standoffish on Zoom. But it was surprisingly intimate. And one of the weird things was that we had it booked for the Thursday evening because we'd always done our classes Thursday evenings, um, 6.30 to 8.30. And it was not until I was on the call that I realised, you know, there's going to be the, the clap for the carers. And so it kind of came to 5.30. I said, look, look, I'm really sorry, everybody, but do you mind, like, if we if we kind of, like, those, those of us who, who want to just take five minutes and go outside. And um, so we did. We took a five-minute break and we came back. And there was this incredible, um, incredible atmosphere. It was real kind of emotion. You know, everybody being cooped up. Everybody was quite anxious. They went outside. There was this big emotional release. Mm. There's something quite funny, which is this one guy just didn't come back. And then he came back about 10 minutes later. And he said, look, I'm really sorry. I live on the kind of the 15th floor of my apartment block. <laughs> it just takes me a long time to get back up here. Um, and that sort of, that had quite a sort of a, a magic to it in a way. Look, we're all here. We're all, you know, in four corners of the earth we're all kind of gathered together we've got common interest and we're going through this really really weird situation together. Mm, mm. so actually i'm converted i'm totally converted and i've done a couple of um day-long classes um uh, i think it's i think it's the future i think it works we're going to roll out a ton more classes um you know so i think i think that's that's great and we're doing this new thing as well the the dg reading club which is a free event um where we just get a journalist who's written a fantastic story for us in the past we um, send it to people so they can have a read and refresh their memory about it. And we just do 45 minutes um, uh, asking them about it, you know, the nuts and bolts of how they got the story, um, you know, what the highs and lows are, what the story is behind the story, and people get to get involved. And that's working well as well. Mm, mm, mm. And so how about, so thinking again about uh, the stuff that you had planned at the start of the year before all of this kicked off. Um, so your, your big 10th anniversary coming up at the end of the year, do you have plans in place for that yet? Or are you kind of holding off until a bit near the time? I think we're probably holding off. Because um, I, I just don't know what we'll be able to do. I mean, I guess the lovely thing would be to have a big party and, and drink a lot of beer. Hmm. Um, but, you know, like I've done a few Zoom parties. They're kind of okay, but they don't really feel like I've got that epic quality of, oh, we survived 10 years. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so... I don't know, dude. Like, I feel, I feel like maybe, maybe you know. I suppose we can mark the ten-year anniversary on issue forty, or we could do it with issue forty-one. As in, at that stage, we would have completed 
10 years, like we'd have done, you know, from January 2011 to um, December mm -hmm. 2020, mm -hmm. I suppose. So we could do that. Um, but yeah, I, I think we need to market somehow. We, we talked about doing, you know, um, some sort of special publication, some sort of kind of uh, best of or something like that. Maybe it'd be nice to do some sort of event. But before we talked about doing some big, you know, real world event, maybe doing a, an infographics exhibition at Sunset House or something like mm -hmm. that. But mm -hmm. That's just, it's just, I can't see it, not mm. by, not by December. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I know that you need to run off because you've got to go and make another magazine and get another of these quarterly things out there. So um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak uh, and really good luck getting that out in the world. Thanks, mate. Always a pleasure chatting. Take care. Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Rob for making the time to speak with me. They are well into the process of making their next issue now, and I know they've got work coming out of their ears, so I really appreciate him putting aside the time to talk. I hope the conversation has helped to give a bit more context on the magazine and where those stories come from. And as I said at the start, if you haven't already seen it and you're not already a Stack subscriber, please come and join us. You can sign up at stackmagazines.com. And again, if you use the code podcast, you'll save 10% on our normal prices. As I'm recording this, IndieCon is just getting started over in Hamburg, uh, an independent magazine festival that is somehow still taking place despite all the social distancing and COVID restrictions. I was thinking at one point I might go there myself, but in the end decided against flying. So instead, I'm hoping to play some conversations recorded there with a few of the magazine makers who did make the trip. With a bit of luck, that will be next week's episode, so watch out for that one popping up. And of course, if you follow us wherever you get your podcasts, we'll be able to deliver that episode and everything else we do to you as soon as it's ready. Thanks very much for listening to this one, and we'll be back with another episode next week. <laughs>